This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the Mom Room Podcast. My name is Renee Rena, and I am definitely the mom friend you have always wanted. Every time I press record on my computer to start an intro or start a podcast, I want to say welcome, 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 because I listen to a lot of Armchair Expert, and that's always how Dax starts the episodes, and it's just... It's like ingrained into my brain. But anyways, such a great episode today. I am talking with Dr. Taylor Arnold. This is her second time on the podcast. And the first episode she was on is number 150. And in that episode, we talked all about sugar, which is usually a hot topic if you have young kids. So check that out. And then this episode is all about quick and easy breakfast ideas, quick and easy lunch ideas. We talk about low sugar schools, which is something that I didn't even know existed. It must just be in the US or maybe even just in her area. I don't know. But her children go to a low sugar school And we talk about why that is problematic. She's not for it. She has a PhD in nutrition. I don't know if people know this, but my PhD and all my research in grad school revolved around eating disorders. So I am very, you know, when I hear things like this, I'm like, it's like a red flag, you know, it's, you're demonizing a specific food group. And yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I feel like their intentions are good, but It's not good. Actually, I just got... So yesterday, Milo and I went to McDonald's and I storied us like he was having his little Happy Meal and someone DM'd me being like, you know that that's going to kill you, right? Like when my kids ask for McDonald's because their friends eat it, I just tell them that it's going to kill them. And I was like, oh my God, not only is that extremely dramatic and false, think about what you're doing to your children with regard to their relationship to food. Like that is not okay. Anywho, I should have screenshot it so that I could post about it. I'll go back and find it. Anyways, I'm getting off topic. (laughs) So today, yes, we are talking about breakfast, lunches, the low sugar school thing. We also talk at the beginning about intuitive eating and what that means. I go on a rant about my digestion as I always do. And then we talk about Halloween candy because Halloween is coming up. And I was so curious how she, being a PhD in nutrition, I was curious how she handles Halloween candy in her house. And you guys are going to, like, I was shocked, but I am going to do exactly what she suggests in this episode. And I'm going to probably take videos and, you know, do a little vlog or whatever, a TikTok about what happens when we do it and how Milo reacts to it. I'm so excited. I can't wait for you guys to hear that part of this episode. So without further ado, I'll stop talking now and go do yoga. Please welcome Dr. Taylor Arnold to the mom room. All right. My first question is, you have three kids now. Yes, I do. Okay, so how old is the youngest? He's four months, let's see, in two days. So like four months what? old. I know. It feels so weird. I keep saying to my husband, like, we have three kids. Oh my gosh, I can't believe it. We're grown up. What are the ages <laughs> of the other ones? Four and a half, two, and four months. And four months. Okay, so you have one that's like around Milo's age. Yeah, she'll be in kindergarten next year. Oh, yeah, because you guys start at age five, right? Yes, yeah. Uh, okay. See, everybody 
There's some provinces in Canada where kids start at age five. And so I keep getting messages like, Milo's only four. Why is he in kindergarten? And then I realized that most other places start at age five. But what I have found with his kindergarten class is that it's literally the same as where he was, like his preschool with his daycare, but it's free. So it's like kind well, of it's a like good a good thing. transition into elementary school. Yeah. So, and then the year after we have junior kindergarten and then senior kindergarten and then the senior kindergarten. So next year he'll be in the same classroom with just kids. They like put them together, I guess. He's also at a small school, so maybe it's different elsewhere, but. I know in um, California they have TK or transitional kindergarten, but I'm not really sure what the ages are for that because we don't have that here in Arizona. So. Yeah. It's weird how it's like different everywhere. Before we get into our topics, I just want to let everybody know that you were on a past episode. So it's episode 150. And we talked about all things sugar. And then we also talked about focusing on your child's behavior around food, as opposed to like really focusing on the actual food. So if you're interested, go and listen to that. Your name on Instagram is at growing.intuitive.eaters. And I thought we could chat a little bit about what intuitive eating even means, like in a nutshell. When you hear about intuitive eating on social media, it typically refers to a book. And I'm trying to see if I have it down here, but it's by Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch. And it incorporates 10 principles that are things like ditching diet culture, gentle nutrition, gentle movement, like enjoying movement. And basically the premise of intuitive eating is eating without restriction and without rules, but you're also considering how food makes you feel and how food affects your body and listening to those feelings, listening to your hunger and fullness cues. And so it's a process because a lot of people were raised not to listen to our bodies around food. And so it's it's like you take incremental steps to get there because you can't just say, I'm going to just do intuitive eating. And all of a sudden you just start feeling these cues and start feeling how food makes your body feel like the next day. It's a really long process and it's a huge mindset shift. And I consider myself an intuitive eater and working on like getting rid of these like diet mentality things from our childhood can take a lot of time. And one example for me is mayonnaise. Like my mom hated mayonnaise. And I think like in the nineties, there was like an anti-butter, anti-mayonnaise, anti-fat. And so I have always just hated mayonnaise. And recently I was reflecting on that because my husband was like, why? I mean, mayonnaise is so good on sandwiches. Like, why do you not like it? And I think it was rooted in that like dislike of adding fatty things to foods, not because I actually didn't like the taste of it because I didn't even know what it tasted like because I never ate it. (laughs) And so rejecting those sorts of rules and instead eating things that give you pleasure and fulfill you, not only your body, but also for like from like a cultural standpoint and family practice standpoint and emotional standpoint like food is more than just calories and nutrients it it's a part of who we are as humans i mean we evolved with food it's affected our evolution as like beings and so listening to how food makes you feel is really integral to intuitive eating but a lot of people also think intuitive eating is just eating whatever you want to eat anytime without any rules, which is true that there's no rules, but it's important to also listen to how food makes you feel. Like I am not a huge fan of vegetables, but I still eat them because I know I feel really bad if I don't eat any vegetables. And that's really intuitive to do, to make a decision like that. So it's not just like, I love sweets. It's not just eating sweets all the time because you like it. Like you also have to take into account other things too. So, so the thing about intuitive eating or anything. This is totally off topic, by the way, but that's just, this is where my brain went. (laughs) So I feel like things like, for example, intermittent fasting. So this is why I bring this up because 
I am trying to like work out my digestive system. My digestive system hates me. And so I'm working on, like you were saying, like what are things that make my digestive system like feel good, like all these things. So I've been making dietary changes, trying to avoid like gluten and dairy because I know that those things, like my body does not react well to them. But What I also started trying to do was giving my system a break. And so for a while, I would not eat past, like after we went up to do bath time and bedtime, I wouldn't eat after that. Whereas usually I would come back down and have like chips or cheese puffs or like whatever. So I stopped doing that. And then I pushed my breakfast to be later in the day because I was not really hungry in the morning, but I would just like, oh, it's morning time. You have to eat. Like, you know what I mean? So when I do that and give my digestive system a break, I feel 10 times better. But then I know things like intermittent fasting get backlash and it gets shit on because it's like, oh, you're promoting like unhealthy eating habits. You're promoting like eating disorders, like whatever it is. What are your thoughts on that? My whole thing is like, it can work for some people, And it cannot work for others. But I feel like when you start talking about food, people get really defensive and they're like, intermittent fasting is terrible. Like you can't, you know, if somebody like says that they tried it and it like worked really well for them, like me, for example, like they're going to get shit on because it's like you shouldn't be promoting that it's bad. So that's a really good question. I think that some of that sentiment of like, oh, that's bad, has come from this like divide in the nutrition space. It's like you're anti-diet or you're not and you promote some sort of other eating way of eating. And I think this like dichotomous way of thinking is is dangerous because I think you can absolutely have a healthy relationship with food and do something like what you're doing because it makes your body feel good. Now, if you're having like a strict rule, like I don't eat after 7 p.m. period, and then you get hungry after 7 p.m., but you're like, I'm not going to eat even though I'm hungry because I have this rule. That's where I might say, maybe we should rethink why you're making that choice. And are you really making that choice because that's what your body needs and it makes your body feel good? Or are you making that choice because you're adhering to some sort of arbitrary rule that you have set for yourself? So there's there's a difference there. I think that there's an extreme in both sides. Like we've all seen like those, those crazy, you know, like the carnivore diet MD or whatever he is promoting these like crazy extreme fad diets. But there's also an extreme on the other side of things saying that we can't try any, any other sort of like, like if you're counting calories, for example, there's an extreme on the anti-diet side that might say that's bad in all situations, always period. And I think that There's just nuance to every nutrition decision, and you can't necessarily say that that's always a bad decision for everybody, no matter what. It's really individualized. And so I think in your situation, like you're saying, taking a break from eating in the evenings and into the morning makes your body feel better. And you're listening to your body, which is very intuitive, but you're not adhering to like, okay, it's 7.05 instead of 7 o'clock. I can't eat that thing because I'm hungry. Like that's where that's where the maybe problematic thought process would start to come into play is if there's these rules that are causing you to not listen to what your body is telling you that you need. That's sort of where I want my clients to reflect on that. But you know, there is a lot of really interesting research in intermittent fasting. And so we can't just ignore that in the name of anti-diet. So it's, there's just a lot of nuance and there's a lot of gray area. And so when I say, like my handle is growing intuitive eaters, what I want to do is help parents raise kids who listen to their bodies. However, that be like learning your hunger cues, learning what makes your body feel good and like what you're doing, you're learning what makes your body feel good without listening to an arbitrary set of rules. Call it whatever you want. Some people might call that intuitive eating. Some people might call that intermittent fasting. It really doesn't matter what label you put on it. What matters is how it makes you feel. It's interesting that you said that because last night I was hungry at like what it was like 830 or something. And I was like, oh, like, so I had a plum 
instead of cheese puffs. So, <laughs> and how'd that make you feel? And to, this morning, I have pooped a good amount of poop. So I'm there happy. You go. Well, plum is a poop fruit. So I love plums for helping you poop. Exactly. I was like, okay, well, if you want to eat something because you're hungry, then make it something that will be good for your digestion and not the opposite. So I love how you like laid that out because I think people get really defensive in the name of being anti-diet culture, but not everything is necessarily related to diet. Like the um, intermittent fasting thing, like, sure, I think some people can implement that in a way that is not, you know, with their best interest in mind. Like it's not being done in an appropriate way. It's not serving them. It's doing more harm than good. At the same time, I think certain things can be used in a good way and it's good for some people. And it, it shouldn't just be like, oh my God, you're not eating between 7 and like 11 a.m. That's diet culture. Like don't even bring it up. Don't talk about it. Don't. And it's like, I hate that narrative. I've listened to like scientists and people on other podcasts talk about, you know, different things in nutrition science and, you know, health and I'm like, oh, yeah. But then I read like news articles about people like shitting all over these people who are talking about these things. And it's like, it has to be black and white. It's like nobody can just be like, well, let's look at both sides here and like see, you know. I would say that if you are implementing time-restricted feeding or intermittent fasting, like it's not technically intuitive eating as like the creators intended it to be. But honestly, that doesn't really matter. What really matters is you taking this way of eating or lifestyle and implementing it to how it works in your individual life. And if you take bits and pieces here and there, my what I say the most important thing is, is having a healthy relationship with food. And if you can achieve that, then however you eat for your body that works best for your body, that's great. That's a win. And I think where things become a problem, like you were saying, is when people become extremely rigid about a certain thing. So it's like, you know, if I go to some event and they have like cake or whatever they have, like I will eat it. I don't care what time it is. You know, it could be midnight. I'm going to eat pizza if I'm up late and I'm hungry. And, you know, like it's the rigidity that becomes a problem. People are like, nope, can't do it. And it starts to affect your like quality of life, enjoying things. And yeah. It's also when you like root your identity in that diet. Like this is like a psychology thing that I'm sure you have seen too. But when you, I, when you root your identity in some sort of thing, whether it be like a political view or a diet or whatever, it makes it hard for you to like accept and reflect on changes to that and shifting your mindset. So if you say like my identity lies in time-restricted feeding or intermittent fasting, or my identity lies in being an intuitive eater. And then this new research comes out that maybe challenges that. It's so hard to take a step back and honestly reflect and evaluate that. And so, you know, that's another kind of danger with getting so ingrained in, in the way you eat that it becomes a part of your like personal identity. Yeah. I've talked about the problem with labels before, probably on the podcast with regard to food, but also with regard to parenting. Like I am a this parent, I am a this parent. And like you were saying, as soon as you steer away from that, now you feel like shit about yourself because that has been like your identity. And people often, I'll share like a bunch of vegan recipes or something. And people are like, oh my God, are you vegan? Are you vegan? Are you vegan? And it's like, no, I'm nothing. I just eat what I want to eat when I want to eat it and eat what makes me feel good. Like I don't like the labels because like you were saying, like that is your identity. Well, now if you're in a predicament or like, oh, like I want to have this cake or I want to have this, like it's almost like a, an attack on your worthiness because, well, I can't label myself as a vegan anymore, you know? Yeah, exactly. 
So what we are talking about today, so Milo started kindergarten. What came with kindergarten is now I had to start feeding him breakfast in the morning because at his daycare, they would give him breakfast. They would make all the lunches and snacks in-house. It was glorious. So I was dreading kindergarten because I'm like, oh my God, not only do I have to make his lunches, but I have to feed him breakfast before we go catch the bus. So... Do you have any tips or like go-to things that you would give your kids for breakfast? Something that's like easy, quick, and then also for lunches. Because I feel like I've been doing really good with lunches, but I'm like, okay, I need different ideas now. My go-to breakfasts are, so my I have a, like a breakfast formula in my head and I feel like that makes it easier. So my breakfast formula is a produce item a protein item, and a grain. And usually all the protein items I feed my kids have fat in it. So that's why I don't add like fat as a separate category. So for example, a protein item might be whole fat yogurt. And so that would fulfill the protein and fat. So my so my go-to breakfast would be yogurt, whole fat yogurt with some sort of cereal on the side. So I usually do like Cheerios, but you can do whatever cereal floats your boat. And then fruit, and it's like a build your own parfait. And I also put sprinkles on the yogurt all the time to make it fun. Like this morning, I had pumpkin sprinkles on the yogurt, and it just makes it like, I don't know, festive. It makes it seem like I'm being a Pinterest mom, but it really takes three minutes <laughs> like, to make or like, less. So like pumpkin <laughs> seeds? No, like they're like sprinkles, like Halloween pumpkin sprinkles oh, from Walmart. Oh, they're little pumpkins. Oh, yes, cute. Yes, because Walmart okay. has really good festive sprinkles. And so I picked up like four bottles of Halloween and Thanksgiving sprinkles. And they're just like orange and black and eyeballs and pumpkins. And so I put those on the yogurt. I do waffles with some sort of nut butter and hemp hearts sprinkled on top. And then a side of either fruit or veggies. So I'll do like a bell pepper sliced up. Bre- veggies for breakfast, people. Do not discount veggies for breakfast just because it doesn't like go it's a great thing to just throw you can you can prep ahead of time in a box in a tupperware in the fridge and put them on so i'll do waffles with nut butter and hemp hearts and then some sort of veggies bagels and cream cheese is a big one for me because that's easy i do oatmeal with frozen blueberries hemp chia flax seeds mixed in that's a go-to for me and I do feed my kids cereal too sometimes so that's kind of like our general rotation is the oatmeal waffles yogurt and bagel sometimes I'll throw in some eggs there but we're really working on that with my son he's not a huge fan of eggs so My husband and I both turn the big four zero next year, and we have been thinking a lot about our long-term health. We want to get smarter about our health, make better choices, but also not feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction. There is so much information out there, and it can be hard to figure out what applies to you, what is right, and what is wrong. Well, let me introduce you to the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast. With the help of world-leading scientists, they help you make smarter health choices every week. Don't just take my word for it. Naomi's Apple Review says, Zoe Science and Nutrition is super easy to consume even if you don't understand the science. With loads of actionable tips, a great mix of guests, and interesting cutting-edge science. You can't go wrong with a weekly podcast where world-leading scientists explain how their own research could improve your health. If you're ready to join millions of others like Naomi transforming their health, then search for Zoe Science and Nutrition wherever you listen to podcasts. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode of The Mom Room and providing me with samples. You know how a lot of people can't leave the house without a water bottle? It's like their emotional support water bottle. I am the exact same way with facial tissues. And that is because I have such bad allergies, specifically in my sinuses, to the point where I know I'm going to have to blow my nose multiple times in a day, and I cannot be out in public without my emotional support facial tissues. 
Luckily, for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Now I know if I have a big event, maybe I'm going to a concert, going out for dinner. I don't want to be blowing my nose every two seconds. It's very unbecoming. And so I will take Claritin D and enjoy my evening. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter or ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Milo has never tried just like straight up eggs. Like, I know he doesn't have an allergy to them because he eats them like in baking or whatever, but he's never like eaten eggs and also oatmeal. He's never had, like, I eat oatmeal all the time and he's not interested. He's like, ew, no. Like, what's your tip for, like, if I wanted to start implementing some of these breakfasts, like, even the yogurt with granola in it, like, he's never seen a yogurt with granola in it. So he might think that's weird. So is your recommendation, like, just start exposing him to these things? Yeah, so I would first serve it deconstructed. So like on his plate, like a little thing of yogurt, a little, like, you know, I use the little silicone muffin liners and I put the granola or the cereal in there. Give him like a fun spoon to spoon it in or like those little mini hand tongs that he can like pick up the yogurt and then sit down and eat in front of him or eat with him if you can and show him how you do it. And yeah, so just, you know, exposure, getting him to prep it if you can. So like scooping the granola from the container. And if that's too much work in the morning, like, I mean, granola is shelf stable. So like he can pour it into his little plate and you can put a cover over it in the fridge and have him prep his, his granola the night before. If you home make your granola, maybe getting him involved in making it. Let's see, what else would I say? Trying to figure out which flavors he really is into. So like if he loves honey or blueberries or cinnamon, kind of catering to those when you're selecting a granola, you have lots of options. What nut butter do you put? So Milo's obsessed with waffles. So what we started doing is we bought a waffle maker. And so my husband will make like batches at a time and we'll freeze them. And then in the morning, we just throw them in the toaster. Perfect. Yeah. Like, do you have any like tricks for stuff to put in the batter or what I nut butters are you putting waffles. on? <laughs> oh, you do? I don't even, yeah, I don't even, that's too much work for me. My husband well, actually does all me. the cooking at our house. I buy frozen Eggo and Kodiak brand like protein waffles sometimes. So yeah, I just buy frozen waffles. I buy the Vans gluten-free waffles for myself because they don't have dairy in them because I'm dairy-free for breastfeeding my son, so... I'm all about easy. Frozen waffles are great. (laughs) You don't put syrup on? You just put nut butter? Usually I do syrup, or I'm sorry, usually I do nut butter on the top, and then I serve it just like a piece of toast, you know, cut up. I put hemp hearts on it. If they want to dip, sometimes I'll give them yogurt with honey mixed in to dip. Sometimes I'll give them applesauce to dip. I try to, like, branch out from just syrup as a dipping option for waffles and give them other varieties so that I don't want them to feel like you always need syrup with a waffle or a pancake because that's really a go-to easy staple for me. And I, I, while I do serve syrup sometimes, I don't want it to be like an every morning food for my kids. And so I give them other dipping options. Okay, I need to start doing this because Milo is all about the syrup. And like when you don't know, like for me, it's like it's hard to understand or like think about other options for something that is such like a common thing that people eat. It's like, yeah, I would never think to like, oh yeah, dip it in yogurt. Like what? That's fucking weird. (laughs) But it, it makes sense. 
It does. I mean, you and you can make it fun. Like mix the maple syrup in the yogurt. So you have like a maple flavored yogurt. Get some sprinkles in there. You can dye it with some food coloring. Like if Milo's favorite color is purple, like throw some purple food dye in there. And then you have like a fun purple monster dip with his waffles in the morning that tastes like syrup that he already likes that flavor. And there you go. You know what I used to do when he was a baby, which I should start doing again, is making the pancakes that were like, the ingredients were just like oats, eggs, and something else. Like banana? In, yeah, banana in the blender and then making them like pancakes. And he gobbled those up. I should start doing those again because that, just to get like the eggs into him. I've been eyeing too. I've, I keep seeing people doing oatmeal bakes. So like... They make their oatmeal, but then they bake it and it turns into like a breakfast cookie and it looks amazing. And so I want to try that. That could be a great like bridge to oatmeal because I mean, what? who doesn't want a cookie for breakfast, but it's made out of oatmeal. <laughs> Do you follow Plant You on Instagram? No, but I'll have to check them out. She lives like an hour away from me. She's a vegan chef and she came out with this cookbook and she has oatmeal like breakfast cookies in it. And so one of them is like with oats and pumpkin and like pumpkin spice flavoring. And I was like, I bought all the stuff this weekend to make them because I was like, that would be a good option for like a quick breakfast. You have to share on stories if you like it. So for lunches, Milo is obsessed with grilled cheese. And I'm not a sandwich eater. My husband is not a sandwich eater. So we don't really have good sandwich ideas. Like as soon as they take out peanut butter because of allergies in school, I'm like, okay, well, you lost me. I don't know where to go now. <laughs> so every morning I'm like, oh, what would you like in your lunch today? Or like any like suggestions or requests. And it's always like grilled cheese, grilled cheese, grilled cheese. He loves grilled cheese. But I need to start finding more ideas for like the bulk part of the lunch. So like a sandwich. Uh, like the main. The main, yeah. Yeah, okay. A great way to add variety to the grilled cheese and get him used to variety in his lunch would be switching up the types of cheese. So if he'd normally do like a cheddar cheese, doing like a white cheese, you could add some brie in there. You could add some tomatoes. You could add some like, bro I've done broccoli and grilled cheese, like finely chopped broccoli and you know, like it's like a green monster grilled cheese. You can use a cookie cutter if you want to be extra. What's your, what is that? Oh, I have a dinosaur excessive. <laughs> okay. Yeah, exactly. I bought a, I just bought a spider cookie cutter for Halloween lunches this month. So like, if you want to be excessive, you go all Halloween themed. And like that just that's a way to get him used to the variety if you've been doing grilled cheese every day. But you could do a quesadilla could also be a really smooth transition for him to something like cheese based, throw some veggies in there. As far as sandwiches, I usually do um, sunflower seed butter if your school has allowed sunflower seeds. It's not like a one-to-one -one peanut butter. Like it definitely tastes different, but it's still pretty good. My kids enjoy it. So like a sunflower or sunflower butter and jelly. I've been into fig jelly lately. It's delicious. And oh. that's like a fun, it's so good. You can do cream cheese and jelly. That's a great um, Oh, swap. that's a great idea. Yep. So, and if, especially if he loves cheese, I also throw hemp parts in my sandwiches all the time. It's just like a nice little omega-3 and protein boost. And then I've been doing like deli meat and cheese and you can do that with crackers. So those are kind of my go-to sandwiches. And then sometimes I'll do it on a bagel too. Like a, you know, peanut butter and jelly on a bagel. I should start buying bagels because I think at his daycare, they used to do English muffins with cream cheese. Again, like we're not cream cheese people. Like we don't eat stuff like that. So it's hard for me to like come up with that idea. But now that you say cream cheese, I'm like, oh yeah, he used to have that at daycare. So that would be a good one. Like bagel with cream cheese. Usually what I do, I make his lunches, like his lunches are massive and people are like, Jesus Christ, does your kid eat all of that? And I'm like, no, he doesn't. But in my mind, I'm like, I want him to have options because I feel bad if he like doesn't eat something and he wants something else or whatever. Yesterday, I tried to be creative and I did like a grilled sandwich, but instead of cheese on it, I just put jam. So it was like a grilled jam sandwich and he didn't eat it. I was like... Uh, so I'll try these other things and see if he'll eat them. My daughter does not like surprises and she needs to be prepared. And so sometimes I will make lunch and I will be like, come here, I want to show you. And I'll open her lunchbox and say, here's 
you know, what I pack for you for lunch today and I'll just close it and put it away. And just, I feel like just that knowledge, instead of opening up her lunchbox and expecting something and it's something else and like could be stressful in the moment, especially depending on the day she's been having. And I feel like that really helps her a lot to know exactly what's coming in her lunch. We could also do make like little pizzas, you know, maybe like the night before, make little pizzas and put those in. I've tried that, but it's hard to get them not soggy. You can like toast them extra, but I've just had trouble with the sogginess. Sometimes I'll put in like actual leftover pizza and that seems to go well. But like an English muffin pizza or like a pizza sandwich, I just can't get the crispiness of it. So you'll have to tell me if you figure that out. Yeah, I'll try my best, but... Don't but I do breath. have a lunch. I, I have a lunchbox formula, just like I have a breakfast formula. So my lunchbox formula is a main, a fruit, and a veggie, and then one to two extras. And that's how I structure it. And I try to get my main always containing protein and fat. So you know, like a cheese or like a nut butter would would fulfill those categories. And so I just it just makes it easier. And if you're staring at your fridge and you don't know what to do, I start with the fruit and the veggie because those are usually no prep. You just chop or wash or whatever. And then pick a main that has protein. And then whatever else you have in your pantry, I like put it in. Sometimes I'm like plain breakfast cereal, going in the lunchbox, like crackers, like leftovers, whatever. As long as I know like the extras or things that I know that my kids will like, like a safe food. And even if it doesn't go, that's my formula. And it seems to help me like the mental fatigue of having to think of a lunch idea every day. That seems to really help. Yeah. People should put these formulas like on their fridge. So it's like, okay, I'm stuck. Okay. Just follow this and you're done. Yeah. It's like a one, two, three, four, you're done. With regard to the extras, I'm curious if there are specific products, because like what we did is we went to Costco, we bought like big boxes of certain extras to just throw in his lunch. That would be easy. But I'm curious if there are specific products or go-to snacks that you put in your kids' lunches. So I do hippies, H-I-P-P-E-A-S. They're like cheese puffs like Cheetos oh my kinda, God. but they're made out of chickpeas so yes. good okay Milo I don't know for the life of me I can't remember where I found a bag of those puffs I bought them for Milo he ate like he loved them I need to remember where I got them because I want to go get more so yeah I love those I I order them from Walmart but usually my Walmart doesn't have them but I just ship them to my house. I just get the big bag of them and ship them. It's worth it. I love hippies. write that down. And they have like actual chips too. And they have the Cool Ranch. Tastes like Cool Ranch Doritos. They're so good. And so I love the hippies. A good pouch, like a applesauce sweet potato pouch or like an applesauce spinach pouch. I try to do like the flavor variety as much as I can. I really like the This Saves Lives bars because they're lower in sugar, but they still taste good. So that's a popular hit for me. This saves lives. I don't know if we have those in Canada. What's the sugar content? I'm curious. I'm pretty sure it's like five grams of sugar. Usually the granola bars that don't, It's so it's hard to find a nut-free low sugar bar. Like I love a good layer bar. I love those for my kids, but I can't send them because they all have peanuts or tree nuts in them. I do That's It bars. Do you guys like those with the fruit in them? Yes, those are from Costco. Yep. Yep. So that's it, bars. Those cheese, baked cheese crisp, like the circles. Um, I don't know what they're called, what the brand is, but they're like little baked cheese crackers and it's just cheese and salt. And so those are really good. Where are those from? Costco. Get those at Costco too. I'm going to look for those. I actually see them at most stores like Walmart or Target. I know you don't have Target up there, which is so sad, but. (laughs) Yeah, thanks for bringing it up though. (laughs) Sorry. Thanks for bringing it up. (laughs) You did that on purpose. I know. Pirate's Booty is a good option for younger kids because it's like a melting solid. It's a puffed corn. So it's not popcorn. It's like a puffed cheesy corn snack. It's called Pirate's Booty? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's puffed corn and, and cheese. What? I don't know if we have that in Canada. Let me write that down. That's a good option. Depending on what your school allows in terms of nuts, like I would love to send chocolate chips and peanuts or chocolate chips and almonds mixed together or like a fruit leather, depending on how old your kid is. I don't normally serve fruit leather to kids under four. What are my other go-tos? 
those are kind of my staples. I really have like a rotation. I do pumpkin seeds for my daughter. She loves pumpkin seeds. Milo just discovered pumpkin seeds and he loves them. Yes, I love them too. Yeah, last night. So his bedtime snacks, we always do a bedtime snack after his bath. And so last night I gave him some oranges, like a little clementine thing, a cheese stick, and then like a little pile of nuts. I always try to give him nuts because I know he can't have stuff like that at school. So they have the pumpkin seeds and he loves them. And he's like, he looks at my husband and he's like, daddy, do you like pumpkin nuts? (laughs) Oh, that's so cute. He's like, I saved you these pumpkin nuts, daddy. (laughs) (laughs) Like it's too cute. Yeah. So yeah, those are a hit with him. That's awesome. And like the cheese stick and clementine, those are my go-to. Those are just so easy. Like I'm all about the easy. I do not like extensively, like anything that needs to be extensively prepped, not for me. Don't like that. So anything I could throw in the lunchbox, the cheese is is super easy too. I like the little guac cups. I don't know if you have those in, you could, they have those at Costco and in Walmart, but like chips and Do guac your kids eat easy. guacamole? Mm-hmm. Well, one of mine does. The other one, I have one guac lover and one guac hater. One will eat it by the spoonful. So, and then hummus and pretzels. Those are my. Got to get ones. him to try. Yeah, hummus is good. See, he would eat hummus at at daycare, and I'm like, he won't try it so far at home. But yeah, we should try with the hummus and guacamole would be amazing. Yeah, yeah, and I know, I know he likes corn chips. Oh, corn chips. That's a good option too. They also have like dried corn, like pieces of corn. I think the brand is like that's corn or it's corn or something. Those are good too. But if you want to help him try hummus at home, you could serve like, um, I put the, like a little blob of hummus and I stick the pretzels in it and it's like a campfire, like a little, you know, campfire snack. And so then the hummus is already on the pretzels. And so if like, if, if pretzels are a safe food for him, like that might make him feel more comfortable trying it. So let's talk about, before we get into Halloween candy, which I almost forgot about. I had to go back to our Instagram message and be like, I know I'm missing something. And it was Halloween candy. Let's talk. You were saying like within your community on your Instagram account, you were talking about, is it called a no sugar school? A low sugar school. Yes. Low sugar school. Okay. And that people were like up in arms about it or like, it's just like controversial. Like so what has been going on? Okay. So my kids go to a low sugar school. And what that means is I can't send any candy or chocolate in their lunchbox. I can't send any gummies, fruit snacks, or fruit leather. And I can't send anything that has more than 13 grams of sugar per serving, which basically negates all sweets and granola bars, muffins, cookies. So I can't send cookies. And that you risk having that item confiscated if it is sent in the lunchbox. What if it's like a homemade cookie that's like low sugar? I guess it's on the honor system, you know, that you, so people are like, oh, you could just take it out of the wrapper and send it in. Yes, I could. And I have taken things out of the wrapper and sent it in, but I don't want to subject my kids to the potential of them having something taken away at lunch in front of their friends. And so I'm not willing to like push the boundaries a ton because I don't want to use, like put them in an uncomfortable situation. But yeah, some people are like, oh, where'd you find a school like that? I want to send my kids to a low sugar school. And other people are like, that's incredibly ridiculous. I can't believe that the school is telling you what you're allowed to put in your child's lunchbox as long as it's not a safety hazard for another child. So it's really polarizing. Like people feel really strongly about it. And I I feel strongly about it too. I do not like it. Really? Okay. So when I asked, because you told me this and I was like, what even is that? Like I, I didn't know what it was. And when you were saying like the 13 or 12 grams of sugar per serving, I was thinking about all the things that I send Milo to school with. And I don't think I've ever sent him with something that has more than that in it because this is just my problem as like a people pleaser kind of, not a people pleaser, but like a being concerned about how somebody else feels. I don't want to send him to school with like Timbits or like something. And then other kids be like, I don't have that in my lunch. Like, so I just don't send him with stuff like that. He can have it at home. It's been a non-issue. He has never said anything. But it's weird that it's a rule. You know what I mean? Like, 
So what is their reasoning for that? Is it like a behavioral thing? Is it like a health thing? Like, I believe it's a health thing. Yeah, I believe it's a, it's a health thing, which is very problematic. The rule is very problematic for multiple reasons. One being that we have lots of research to suggest that heavy restriction and dichotomizing food, like calling it good or bad, which in this case, you're basically saying don't send any of this bad food to school, can have negative outcomes on the way a child views sugar as they get older. Two is if you have a child who's like extremely picky or has a pediatric feeding disorder of some sort and they have a very, very limited amount of safe foods, you're now taking less foods away from this child that they can have in their lunchbox. And you could say, oh, well, they can get an IEP or whatever. But a lot of times these pediatric feeding disorders are very hard to diagnose and or are not diagnosable. So like if someone is just super picky, for example, a child is super picky and they don't have a diagnosis, you can't give them an IEP to have certain foods in their lunchbox because they have no diagnosis. So you're kind of isolating those children as well. Like I mentioned before, if I want to have like a bar to send in the lunch that's nut-free and also low sugar, it was extremely difficult to find the that's it bars. And probably expensive. Yep. Exactly. And so it's an elitist policy too, in my view, because the bars that I buy are like $25 for a box of bars and I have to ship them. I can't even get them on my regular grocery store. And so now like you've taken away these convenience options that some parents might really, really need for their kids for whatever reason. It's not my place to judge why you might want to use convenience foods. I use convenience foods, but I don't think that it's fair for the school to limit what you can send your child because you don't know, like there's many reasons why you might want to send an option that's bigger. Or maybe you're working on your kid's relationship with food. Maybe you have had this mentality that sugar is bad and you shouldn't eat sugar. And now your kid has has been like sneaking sweet foods and you want to help them realize that, that these foods are accessible and available to them and to help them grow to have a healthy relationship with food. And you want to put it alongside the veggies in their lunchbox to show them that it's just like another food and you can't do that. What age does the school go up to? It starts in toddler and it goes to high school. Mm-hmm. See, that's, that's a problem. I think that if you want to, to reduce a child's added sugar intake, there are other interventions that we can take to help that. One of them being help the kid have a healthy relationship with food and then teach them in an age-appropriate way what all different types of foods do to our bodies. That's my approach. And then, you know, some people want schools to have more intervention in their kids' lives than others. I think that's more of like a political view, but like as a dietitian, I feel very confident in being able to structure what my children eat every day. And I don't want somebody else to interfere in that. And so it bothers me that I can't make my own decisions about what to feed my kid. This episode is brought to you by Little Spoon. If you're like me, then the bane of your existence is thinking about what to feed your children, prepping food, going to the grocery store, all of the above. Who has the time? We are all so busy, and it's important to incorporate things into our life that keep our life as simple and convenient as possible. Lil Spoon is one way to do just that. They deliver fresh, healthy meals and snacks straight to your door that your kid will love at every eating stage they are in. The baby blends are fresh, organic baby food from single ingredients to multi-textured purees to take the stress out of starting solids. They partner with Clean Label Project to test their blends for 400 plus contaminants, including heavy metals, so you know you're getting good stuff. The Biteables are finger food meals that are cut to size to promote easy self-feeding, and they are healthy, balanced, and free of artificial junk. The Little Spoon plates are toddler and big kid meals that are free of junk and they taste amazing. Even the pickiest eaters will love them. Think hidden veggie mac and cheese, chicken nuggets, and adventurous eats like potstickers, gnocchi, and more. They also offer really fun things like puffs, they have smoothies, lunchers, and snacks. 
you quite literally never have to think about food again. It's just easy peasy. And did I mention this all comes right to your door? It is so flexible, so easy, and everything stores right in the fridge and freezer. The price is right, the quality is unmatched, you are going to love it and your kids are going to love it. It is just a huge win for your family. Simplify your kids' mealtime with 30% off your first order. Go to littlespoon.com slash momroom and enter our code momroom at checkout to get 30% off your first Little Spoon order. This episode is brought to you by Lola V. Lola V is an award-winning hair care line by none other than Jennifer Aniston. They offer clean, plant-powered products for every hair type and texture. I just did my whole hair care routine with all the products the other night and I am obsessed. Along with incredible shampoo and conditioner, they have an intensive repair treatment that you can use once a week. They also have a lightweight hair oil. There's a leave-in treatment and there's also a glossing detangling which I need because lately I want to do my hair in like a slicked back look, but my hair is too frizzy. Get 15% off Lola V with the code MOMROOM at www.lolav.com slash MOMROOM and Lola V is L-O-L-A-V-I-E. It's really strange that this goes up to high. I was thinking it was like a daycare, like preschool kind of thing. And it's like, oh, okay, like the parents just know this. But it's weird to me that like there's high school students that are like, I go to a low sugar school. Like what? Like, so the kids understand, obviously, when you're in high school. So they can't like go to the corner store during lunch break and get a chocolate bar and bring it back. Like. No, I mean, not, I guess they could. Well, some schools around here don't let kids leave for lunch, but you know, if they did, you would have to eat it off campus, I guess, or wait till after. And then, you know, I don't want to create like a binge, binge type behavior. Like your your kid really wants a cookie. They haven't had a cookie and then they're going to go home and eat like a ton of cookies because they felt restricted all day, you know, for whatever reason. And so I'm just not a fan of, of that school. I don't, and we don't have any research to show that low sugar schools benefit children like in the long run so I don't like that approach and it's don't think really it's really bizarre like when you explain it like that and how it goes up to high school that's really bizarre when I was in high school I'll tell you right now and if my mom is listening she's gonna be like Jesus Christ Renee why did you have to say that my lunch <laughs> in high school was like a Nutella sandwich, and then I had like a Joe Louis, and then I had a chocolate milk, and then I had probably like a chocolate pudding, and then I... <laughs> yeah, so you like could have said any of that. <laughs> this was my lunch, and I turned out okay. Like, I'm, pre- I'm good. Like, that's, yeah, that's crazy. And we also had a cafeteria where you could go and buy whatever you wanted, but also like, why is it sugar that's being demonized and not something else? In my view, there's not a good reason for this policy other than misguided, but maybe well-intentioned attempts to help their kids be healthy. Yeah. Is this a common thing where you live? Like, are there other schools in the area? There are other schools. And I have heard from people online that their kids, like when I've shared about on Instagram, I got several messages that said their kids also go to a low sugar school and they don't like that they're very restricted in what they can send because in addition to the no nuts thing, like, it's just a ton of rules for parents to remember. And like, let's say you did, you know, put something in that was mistaken for something higher in sugar. It was like, that can be traumatic to a kid to like have, a, I mean, this has never happened to my kids and I've never heard of this happening at this particular school, but technically in the rules, it's allowed. Like I envision a kid eating their lunch and a teacher coming over and taking their cookie away in front of their friends. And like, that's not appropriate, you know, like that can cause a whole host of other issues for that child. So that is really interesting to think about because it's like you open your lunch, you have a chocolate chip cookie, the teacher comes and takes it away. Like what message is that sending to all of those kids that saw that happen? You know, on the flip side, I've also gotten a lot of messages and this is probably even more common than the low sugar thing. Actually, I know it is more common. Teachers or lunch staff. And I want to say usually it's teachers enforcing rules that they're told to, not them coming up with their own rules, but telling kids to eat their quote unquote healthy foods first. So like they'll look at the kid's lunchbox and okay, make sure you eat your veggies before you have your pudding. 
And like, they'll put this rule in the cafeteria. And that very clearly is associated, like if you force a child to eat or pressure a child to eat certain foods, you're going to reduce the chance they're actually going to like that food. And we have research to show that. And so these, these schools are like pressuring kids to eat certain things in a certain order, which I also don't like because that parent sent their lunch to the school and they designed that lunch for their child to eat it the way that they know that their child is going to eat it. And so now we have interference in there and, you know, we don't know what's going on with that kid. Maybe they're feeling hypoglycemic and low in blood sugar and they want the sweet thing first to like perk them up a little bit. Or maybe they have a tummy ache and like the pudding is the only thing that sounds good to them in the moment. Or maybe they had a really rough, rough morning at school and like that Oreo is their comfort food and they want to eat that first, but they can't because they're being told to eat their vegetables first. Oh my and God. so that's really common as well. And usually I don't want to like throw the teachers under the bus here. Usually it's like a district policy or a school policy that the teachers are told to enforce. And oftentimes they're enforcing it against their will. Like they don't like that rule and they feel bad but they have to because they're told to for their job's sake so I don't like that it's it's another case of like in general there's a problem in I would say Canada and the U.S. like childhood obesity like health of children whatever and they target and go to the completely wrong thing like let's control (laughs) let's let's zoom in on the the lunches and let's not allow sugar in schools and make everyone have a messed up relationship with sugar instead of you know going to where we can actually enforce change in the world like can we can we target diet culture in school can we target food bullying let's stop weighing our kids in school let's teach them to have a healthy relationship with food let's equip them with the skills to cook fruits and vegetables and know where to find them and know like how to prepare them and give them opportunities to taste them like there's so many other ways that we can improve our kids health through nutrition without policing what goes in the lunchbox and what order food insecurity like yes yeah, poverty. Yeah, yeah. Like sending kids home with lunches, offering them like school breakfast options that include produce where they're able to. Exactly. Like, oh, it's so frustrating. Me. Okay. <laughs> next topic because it is almost, this will be out not next Tuesday, but the Tuesday after. So it's almost Halloween. Yay. Halloween candy. So you were saying that this is a hot topic right now. And it's funny because I was thinking about this topic before we started talking. And I was like, I remember going trick-or-treating as a child or like, you know, grade school, whatever. And every once in a while, you would get a house that would give you a full-size chocolate bar. And you were like, jackpot. And like at the end of the night, you would go and count how many full-size chocolate bars you got. (laughs) And also people used to give out cans of pop. Like soda. Really? Like, yes. And so at the end of the night, if you had, you know, a few cans of pop in your bag, it was like so heavy. And then there was like this weird house on my street that used to give out apples. And I was like, that's so odd. And like, we thought it was so weird. But anyways, let's talk about candy. (laughs) Yeah. Well, okay. What do you want to (laughs) know? My approach to Halloween candy? Yes. So my thinking was, okay, you have children, you're going out. It's like a very unique situation going out and getting a massive bag of candy, chocolate, whatever. How do you approach, I guess, like the boundaries with that bag of Halloween candy? Like last year, Milo was kind of not like we went trick or treating and he got a bunch of candy, but he forgot about it the next day. It wasn't like a thing. This year, I think, will be different because he's, you know, wiser. What do you recommend parents do with this massive bag of candy? So first, I recommend you start now by making candy not this, like, high and mighty, like, food only exclusive to Halloween. So buy some candy and serve it occasionally with your meals, you know, according to whatever your family's practices with sweets. Some families have sweets a lot. Some families have sweets a little bit, but like try to include candy in the rotation sometimes 
to kind of destigmatize it. On Halloween, usually I just let them eat however much they want because we're out walking. There's other exciting things. It's not like my kid is like sitting on the sidewalk and eating candy out of the bag and not paying attention to anything else. Like they're trick or treating, they're in their costume, they're having fun. And so we have snacks along the way and then we go to bed. So I do limit the night of like we come home and she wants to eat candy, but it's usually like a time limit. Like you can have some candy right now, but like we have 15 minutes before we need to get ready for bed. So that's the way I limit candy on Halloween because I don't want my child to stay up till 10 p.m. because she'll be a disaster the next day. <laughs> so I limit that in that way. And then after I offer candy with meals. So usually the next morning I offer candy with breakfast because like they just went trick-or-treating. It's really exciting to them. And I will offer it alongside a breakfast I know that they really, really like. So like whatever Milo's favorite breakfast is, offer the candy alongside that so that you know he's still likely going to eat a little bit of this other breakfast food. So he's not like only binging on candy the morning of. And then I will sprinkle it throughout the day for the next day or two. And then I'll usually scale it back and offer it maybe once a day for a little bit and then every couple days and kind of get back to our normal routine of offering. I offer sweets usually on a daily basis, but not candy on a daily basis. It kind of rotates with what I offer. And so then it'll start to sprinkle in back into a regular routine. I usually offer candy with a snack because I let my child to eat their fill of the candy. So that way they're not like replacing their whole meal with candy. Usually it's more of like a snack that they're often filling up with candy on. I try to serve it with preferred foods. Sometimes I'll say like, you can pick one type of candy we're eating. Like let's say she picks Sour Patch Kids, that's what she wants. So like she'll have a couple Sour Patch Kids, but then when the Sour Patch Kids run out, like they're gone. You don't just get to like switch to chocolate and then switch to lollipops. So sometimes that's my approach. I know like if you have a child who's like obsessed with sugar and might be sneaking their candy, one thing that you could do would be to have it out on the counter on a bowl to show them like, hey, this candy's available to you when you'd like it. I just want you to let me know when you want to have some candy so we're not like eating candy in the middle of the night kind of thing. See, this but is interesting. Available. I really like that because my first thought is like that candy's being hidden, like it's being put away. And I really, I'm going to do that this year. I'm going to put some in a bowl on the island and like see what happens. Yeah. I love that. I mean, you'll. Yeah. I think you'll find that like, He's not going to just sit there and eat candy all day. Like, he has better things it's to not, do. He's yeah, a busy 40-year-old. You know Even when, like, we had cupcakes or something. No, it was cake for his birthday. And he had his little piece of cake. And he was like, can I have another piece? And I was like, okay. Cut him another piece. He took one bite, left, and ran to go start playing. I was like... Like they know. So I like that just like leaving it out, not hiding it and making it some like forbidden special thing. So when you say you offer it with breakfast, like how much are we talking here? Usually the next day I would, I would let them eat their fill of, of candy. Um, what they and want. So, yep. So usually my kids aren't going to eat like 30 pieces of candy because I've raised them with this neutral view of sweets. But if you have a kid who's like obsessed with sugar, they might do that. So you kind of have two approaches to take. One is you can let them get a bellyache and use it as a learning lesson, or you can stop them and say, you're going to get it. Like when you eat this many sweets, you usually get a tummy ache. So we're going to limit you there. But I, I usually recommend multiple servings and know that when you do limit your child, you put that limit on them, you're still going to contribute to that obsession because you're not allowing them to find their limit within themselves. But it's every parent's comfort level. Some parents are just not comfortable with that. And so you could take both approaches. It goes against like what we've been told, you know, just Sorry so everybody if you can knows. see my baby screaming in the background. Taylor's lovely husband is watching, not watching, he's parenting three children right now. So kudos to him. And he has useless <laughs> nipples with a four month old. So, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no. No, I okay. think he's good. I think he's probably good. He ate an hour and a half ago. So he shouldn't be too oh, hungry. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. 
But this is a mom podcast, and I'll tell you right now, it's not the first baby that has screamed on okay. an episode. So that's a behind a closed door too. So that scream has really got some decibels in it back there. Yeah, so. my dogs are in the basement because I don't have a baby, but I have annoying dogs. I love this for the Halloween candy, and I am going to do this with like the bowl out on the table and just see what happens. I love this. It's like a new way of thinking. Like my first thought is like, oh yeah, we're, we got to hide that and like put it away. And yeah, but no, let's, let's put it out and see what happens. Yeah. And I definitely do recommend though, if you have the bowl on the table, just to make sure you set the boundary with your kid, like make sure you tell me when you want to eat some candy instead of just like, because you want to be aware of what's happening, obviously with your younger child, but even with like a teen or a tween, if you're working on the relationship with food and you still need to guide them, like just having them let you know, hey, just let me know when you're going to have some candy just so that you are aware of, you know, what's happening. What's so, going on. Yeah. Yeah. So before you go, where can everybody find you? Do you have like courses? Like what do you have going on now? I'm on Instagram and TikTok and YouTube. So um, Instagram is at growing.intuitive.eaters. TikTok is at dr.taylorarnold. That's dr.taylorarnold. And YouTube is Growing Intuitive Eaters. And I do have courses. So I have a Growing Intuitive Eaters 101 course and a Variety 101 course and a Feeding Baby 101 course. So those will teach you how to teach your kids to have a healthy relationship with food how to prevent and first picky eating and introduce more types of food to your kid, whether it be protein, veggies, what, whatever floats your boat, whatever you want your kid to eat more of. That's variety 101. And then feeding baby 101 is starting solids, introducing solids to your baby, whether it be baby led weaning or purees, whatever floats your boat too. I also have too many courses, constipation 101, all about poop. Oh, um, <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's a good one. And then milk 101. So all about milk, like what type of milk oh. is the best? How do you introduce milk to your toddler? And all of those are completely free on my YouTube channel because I believe that parents deserve this information without it being behind a paywall. I think every parent, every parent has to feed their kid. So every parent should be able to learn how to feed their kid without having to go to like a bajillion appointments or pay you know, $300 for an online course. So all my courses are completely free on YouTube. And then I do have a Patreon page too, where I have like a content library of searchable library of all of my content. I have a, a lunchbox idea generator where you can click a button and get a custom lunchbox idea designed by me. I have a bunch of handouts on there. I have our weekly dinner plans on there. That's $7 a month. So try to keep it as affordable as possible. Yeah, I love that. Do you have anything on formula? By any chance? Like baby formula? Yeah. Some. I'm not a formula expert, though. There's like the formula mom and I think the formula fairy are those. Those are like really good accounts to follow. I posted a little bit about formula during the shortage that we had here in the U.S. I don't know if it was in Canada, too. I think it was. I'm not a. am not an expert in formula. That's not my area of expertise, so. Okay. I'm going to tell my sister those accounts. She was asking me about it, and I was like... There's got to be someone that knows. Yeah. Those a lot are both really, it, so. really good accounts. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for this conversation. This was great. Thank you. And sorry for the screaming kids in the background. <laughs> that's, that's okay. It adds like, you know, that mom room podcast ambiance. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well, it was a pleasure. Are you looking for a podcast that'll make you laugh? You came to the wrong place. That's not us. That's not us. Well, it is. We are a husband and wife who chat about raw, real relationship yeah, topics. like sex. Like money. Like marriage and kids. But we're not afraid to talk about how your newborn baby probably isn't as cute as you think it is. If you're in need of entertainment while you're driving to work, because that sucks, we can join you in the suckage, kind of like being in your ear. Not physically. So if you want to laugh, come check us come out. Come check us out. Brought to you by the Laughing Couple Podcast. <laughs> <laughs>